Good morning, ARC. All right, it's good to be with you guys again this morning. We're going to be in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26 this morning. And while you turn there, let me just go ahead and offer up a, another word of prayer to our good God and Lord. Let him ask us to help us be hearers and doers of his word and that he would help me as well. Lord God, Father, we thank you that you have woken us up this morning. Thank you, God, that you have brought us to a place where we can safely worship. We thank you, God, that it is you alone who keeps us. We can do no works of our own that will produce righteousness. It's only by the righteous life of Christ that you look at us and count us as blameless. Lord, may we remember that this morning as we hear from your word that we cannot produce righteousness in and of ourselves. We need a savior and you sent a savior and his name is Jesus. So Lord, help us this morning to hear this word and from hearing it to be those who live a life that is guided by the spirit. Lord, help me this morning. May your spirit Help me to preach your word to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Christian, have you ever wondered, how is it that I know that I'm a Christian? I mean, I'm not talking, of, of course, about the most important thing, that you said that you've placed your trust in Jesus and that you've turned away from your sin and that you're following Christ. No, of course, that's the most important thing. And man or woman, if you're doing that today, then you are a Christian. But rather, have you ever thought, are there any tangible ways that I could know whether I'm a Christian or whether I can know if someone else is a Christian? And I mean, now, outside of that profession of faith, right, outside of someone verbally saying that I'm following Jesus and no longer following a life of sin, outside of that, has God given us any guidance? Has God given us any direction to be able to look at a person and know whether that person is a Christian or not? Well, I think God has given us some guidance, and I believe God has given us some direction. God has used the Apostle Paul here in this letter to the Galatians
so that we could have tangible ways to know whether someone is a Christian or not, to know whether we are a Christian or not. And before I go any further, let me just make a statement here. Now, at the end of this sermon, at the end of this message, I hope that we don't take, and when I say we, I'm talking to the brothers and sisters here, I'm talking to Christians, that we don't leave here after hearing this message and go around with a microscope or magnifying glass examining everyone who says they're a Christian. Now, this is not what I want us to do from this message. This is not what I think God wants us to do from the sermon this morning. So that's not at all what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is there a certain way a Christian should be living. So Paul's letter to the Galatians. Before we get into chapter five, I'm just going to give a quick overview of this letter to the Galatians, let you guys know who Paul is, what he was doing, why he wrote this letter to these churches of the Galatians, and then we'll jump into chapter five, and we'll look at 16 through 26. So Galatia is an area, now modern-day Turkey, but if you look at Acts chapter 13 and 14, right, Paul planted some churches in this area of Galatia. This was probably on his first missionary journey that he planted these churches, right? Now, after him planting these churches, he left. And after Paul left, some false teachers creeped in. And we know what false teachers do. They come with a false message. These false teachers came slandering Paul, saying that Paul was not a true apostle, that Paul's message that he preached was false, right? They were, they were saying, man, Paul, the way that he became an apostle was from man. God didn't commission him to do that. You guys need to stop listening to Paul. You guys need to listen to us. We have the true message of salvation. And that message of salvation that they were preaching was that you can believe in Jesus, believe in his life, believe in his death and resurrection, but you had to add something to that. You had to be circumcised. So you had to obey the law of the Torah, right? You had to obey the Jewish law with Christ. Paul tells them, hold on. So Paul's writing this letter first in defense of himself. He's writing this letter to defend his authority. He's writing this letter primarily to defend the gospel. So in chapter one, um, and if you've read Galatians before, you understand how this letter kind of starts off. Paul starts with his normal kind of greeting, and he goes right in to the Galatians, digging in, wondering what is wrong with you guys? How is it so quickly that you're deserting the one who called you by grace? How is that? I mean, what kind of craziness or nonsense is that? And Paul's astonished. Uh, I mean, he even says here in chapter one that those who are telling you this gospel, I wish that they would be condemned. Condemned to hell is the language that he uses here. Right. So this is this. I mean, Paul is is um, he has a frustration and the an anger there. But but the reason why it's so is because, man, ones who had once believed in Jesus almost seems like now they're falling away from the faith. This is extremely important. y'all. This is extremely important. So Paul here, he says, look, let me tell you, man, this 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 gospel that I got, it didn't come from any man. He's like, y'all know about my former life. 
Y'all knew about me and Judaism. Y'all knew about how I tried to destroy the church of God. Y'all know about that. Y'all have even probably heard about my testimony. He tells them about a story. He said, it was God who revealed this to me. It was God who, before I was born, by his grace, called me and revealed his son to me and told me to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. Right? That is what Paul is telling them. He said, and he says, after that, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to go see those dudes. I didn't go up anywhere. He said, for a couple years, I went away. He said, three years specifically, he went away. Right? Before, and then he went up to Jerusalem for a couple of days. He was trying to go and check Peter out. Peter wasn't there. He was kicking it with the Lord's brother, James. Then he said, after 14 years, he went up again. And he went to go see those who may be of some sort of influence. Right? He went up to see, he says by a revelation here, but he went up to see if the gospel that he was preaching was the true and real gospel. And if you guys are following along with me, this is now getting into chapter two. So he goes to the top dogs, right? Peter, James, John. He sees them. He says, no, this is the gospel I'm preaching. Christ crucified. Faith in Christ alone. Salvation. They look at him and say, right, amen. That's the gospel we're preaching. He says, well, God called me and commissioned me to the Gentiles. They said, go on. Keep going to the Gentiles. He says, so, so y'all not preaching circumcision. Y'all not preaching eating kosher. Y'all not preaching observing days. He's like, no, we're preaching Christ crucified. It's by faith in him alone. He's like, okay. They give him the right hand of fellowship, send him on his way. They say, yo, before you leave, just make sure you remember the poor. He says, say no more. That's what Paul wanted to do, right? So Paul is, he, he leaves, he goes. This thing gets kind of murky though, because he leaves there and at some point, Peter comes to the church of Antioch, right? And when Peter comes to the church of Antioch, he's eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. He's feasting with them. You know, he got pork juice running off his lips. He there kicking it, man. You know what I'm saying? Eating good. And all of a sudden, some people come down. These false brothers come down from Jerusalem. And he steps back. Juice is still flowing off the side of his lip. And he's like, no, I wasn't with them. I was kicking it with Barnabas. Barnabas, I mean, this is a leader in the church, so Barnabas probably like, yeah, I was with Paul. I mean, it says the hypocrisy was so bad that he even led Barnabas astray. You know, so think about that. A leader of the church, not standing firm on doctrine, even leading his followers away. Man, thank God for Paul, though. Paul stood firm. Paul stood up. He said, yo, this ain't a step with the gospel. How is it you, a Jew? Go living like a Gentile. Now I'm going to ask Gentiles to live like Jews. He's like, what is this that we're doing here? This isn't a step with the gospel. Right after that, chapter 2, verse 15, this is the main doctrinal issue that Paul is dealing here with the church is justification. Right now, what is justification? Justification it means it's really a legal decree, but what it means in the scriptures, justification is this: that you are that God forgives you of your sin. On one hand, not only does He forgive you of your sin, but before Him you are fully righteous. Paul is like, yo, this is only by Christ. This is only by the work of Christ. 
Why is this only by the work of Christ? He's going to later break that down because the law was not meant to be able to make you righteous. There's no possible way that we can be righteous in and of ourselves because we are sinners. We have rebelled against God, every single last one of us. The only one that never has is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the one that we're to look to. So Paul is adamant here to tell them over and over again, it's not by the works of the law, but it's by Christ. And he even goes as far to say, brother and sister, this is true of us today now. He says, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Right? So, so I've died. The old self has died. has been crucified. It's not Christ that lives. I, when I live, it's Christ that lives. That's how closely connected we are to the Savior. That's the only reason why we're justified. Right? Because when God sees us now, he sees his son. Praise the Lord for that, brothers and sisters. Paul continues. He's working out this treaty. Chapters 3 and 4. He's going to give this theological framework. He's trying to understand the, the law and faith. Faith. And he says to the Galatians again in chapter 3, yo, who has bewitched you? What's wrong with you guys? Yo, and he, he, he even appeals to personal experiences. He says, yo, hold on. Did you guys by some sort of form like start to see miracles work among you by the work of the flesh? Or was it by hearing? It was it by believing and having faith in Jesus? And he's like, yo, even if that's not enough, yo, remember what I preached to you. Remember the Bible I teach to you. Remember how I held Abraham up as the example? Right? He says, yo, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. So he gives them this example, and he tells them again, okay, now, if Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and if, if God gave Abraham a promise and said that through Abraham, the nations would be blessed, right? This was the good news that God had preached to Abraham beforehand, that all of the nations, this Gentiles and Jews, would be blessed, right? Would be blessed. That's good news. This is happening from the Old Testament. And then Paul's like, yo, if you're confused, let me tell you and mind you, Paul here is a Jewish scholar. The law, he knows it. I mean, he knows it so well. My man's spitting out numbers like only somebody got to know. He said, yo, 430 years before. This promise that God gave to Abraham came 430 years before the law was even given. So what are we doing? Is God's promise to Abraham 430 years before the law now nullified? It's not. He's like, come on, guys, I taught you these things. How quickly is it that you're forgetting the things that I taught you? Oh, man. So it's not. It's not. He says, look, the promise was before the law. So then you would have some there that would say, well, Paul, these people are telling us that the law is actually good. So he says, what's the purpose of the law? He said, the purpose of the law was so that you would know you're a transgressor. The purpose of the law was to know that you're a sinner. The purpose of the law was to have you sit and wait for the one who would fulfill the law completely. The one who was promised to Abraham and through his line. Right? So he says, look, let me tell you. That's the negative aspect of the law. Microscope over your entire life, magnifying glass, it shows you your sin. It's magnified. 
right? Now for Israel, it was just supposed to keep them in guidance, in a guardrail until Christ came. That's what the law was there for in, in a positive sense. Paul goes on, chapter 3, chapter 4, he continues on, and he's telling them, he says, look, guys, that's what the law was for. He says, let me give you guys another example, right? So he tells them, look, you guys are heirs. If you, if you, if you, if you believe in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are children of the promise, Right? He goes on and says, well, you're heirs then, right? And, and, he, and he also gives an example here of Sarah and Hagar. So Sarah was Abraham's wife, right? And, you know, if you guys know the story, having a hard time having children, eventually Abraham and Sarah kind of faltered on their belief. And, uh, you know, they were like, man, how are we going to have a child? We're getting old. We don't have any children. So in sin, disobedience to God. Sarah says, I have a female servant, Hagar. We can have a child with her. And he says, you know, they, they now take what God has given them as a promise and try to take it in their own hands. Right? They say, we're going to do this thing that God said he's going to do for us. Abraham sleeps with Sarah's female servant, and they have a child, and that child is Ishmael. God says, the promise is not coming through Ishmael. The promise is coming through Sarah. I'm the one who made the promise, and I'm the one that will fulfill the promise, okay? We can't fulfill any promises that God has made to us. It's his promise to fulfill. So Isaac is the child of the promise. So he tells them here, you know, he tells them again, he's just preaching the Bible to them. That's all he's doing. He's preaching the Bible to them. He's explaining it to them. He's saying, look, guys, if you believe in Christ, then you are children of the promise. And so 5 and 6 now, chapters 5 and 6, we deal with kind of more practical applications of how this now works itself out. And in chapter 5, he says, look, if you're free, which you are free if you believe in Christ, man, then use your freedom to love one another. Use your freedom to serve one another. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to, to give away to the flesh, to give away to the passion and desire of the flesh. That's not what that freedom was for. The freedom is to serve others. Paul goes down. He explains, okay, let me tell you the difference between the spirit and the works, the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. Continues on in chapter six. There's more practical ways of how do we live these justified lives now as a community, as one in the body. Now let's take a look at chapter five. And if you're taking notes this morning, or if you are one who just has a real sharp memory, the main point this morning is Christian. You have the promised Holy Spirit, so live like it. And if I had a sub-point to add underneath that, what I would say is, if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Spirit and you will not enter the kingdom of God. Paul gives a command. So this is how I've outlined 15 through, I mean, chapter 5, 16 through 26. Paul gives a command, 
We'll see that in verses 16 through 18. And that command is be guided, be led, walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. We'll see Paul gives a comparison. We'll see that in verses 19 through 23, where Paul gives a comparison between the works of the flesh. And then Paul gives a comparison between the fruit of the spirit. And then lastly, Paul gives a consequence. So there's a consequence of living by the spirit. And that is you belong to Christ. You've been you have a crucified life and you're living by the spirit. And you'll see that in verses 24 through 26. Let me read chapter five. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, then Christ is no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed. You are cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but it's faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you, he will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would have been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalry, dissension, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Hmm. Paul gives a command. Be guided, led, walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So now we see here in verse 16, Paul is saying to them again, but I say walk by the spirit and not by the, and walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But Paul says this right after giving, right after telling them that, look, you're free now and your freedom is so that you can serve one another. It's not for you to have an opportunity for the flesh. Well, how are you going to do this? How is it that you are going to be able to serve one another in love? And not give opportunity to the flesh. Well, let me let you know how. Follow this command. Be guided by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? And now, when, when Paul is saying here, flesh, is he talking about this earthly body? Yes. Not, not, not just that alone, though. The thing about it is sin has corrupted everything. Sin has corrupted our bodies. Sin has corrupted our mind. Sin has corrupted our will. Sin has corrupted our emotions. And you'll see in a little bit as we read the list of the works of the flesh, you'll see how it touches every one of those areas. Body, will, emotion, mind. Our whole entire being is corrupted by sin. So this is what Paul is saying. He's like, look, man, if you're walking by the Spirit, and the Spirit there is a capital S for a reason. He's talking about God's Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So back in chapter, back in chapter 3, verse 14, right, Paul says that uh, if you have believed in Christ, then you have received the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So this is the spirit that he's talking about, right? This is the spirit he's talking about being guided by. This is God's spirit, right? And so he goes on to just simply say that, well, if you're walking by the spirit, then you will not be walking by the flesh because they're opposed to each other, right? And, and if you were to look in Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, Paul again does another this great treaty of going through the flesh and the spirit, the differences between them, why they can't exist together, why they're opposed to one another. But it's quite simple, brothers and sisters, that the spirit of God is completely holy, and our sinful nature is not. There's no possible way that they can work together in any of those realms. They're opposed to each other, right? That's what he says here. They're opposed to each other. Uh, and he says here that, they, that, it, that the flesh keeps us actually away from doing what it is that we want to do. There's a battle there. There's a wrestling there, right? I mean, if you, if you know your life, if, you, if you've known your week, if you've known your morning, I'm pretty sure that you, especially if you're a Christian, you feel that tug and that wrestle, right? You, you, you just feel it. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes it's quite even difficult to explain. But you know that God has called you to one thing, and you know the Spirit is actually working in your life and moving you in one direction. But it's just so easy and so subtle. Sin creeps in. And you're like, you feel that tug. 
And, and literally, it's a fight, man. Paul, in some letters, says warfare, right? Think about Ephesians and how he's talking about going to war, and he's talking about armor to put on, right? I mean, we're battling every single day. And so Paul's trying to make this clear. He says, look, man, they're opposed to you from one another. Stop you from doing what it is that you want to do. But he says, if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law, right? So if the Spirit is what's leading you, if the Spirit is what's guiding you, right, then you don't have this law you're not under. Because, again, what was the law sent there for? To show you that you're a sinner, right? So if you're following God's Spirit and you're being led by the Spirit, then there is no law. You're not underneath that law. And he's like, man, even if this isn't clear, y'all, so this is now going down to point two. If this isn't clear, Paul gives a comparison, right? If this is not clear, let me help you to understand. What is the difference between the flesh and what is the difference between the fruit of the spirit? He's going to give a comparison, right? So now we're looking at verse 19. He says, look, man, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. Yo, I feel like Paul could have kept going, right? The list could have been exhaustive. It could have probably filled out the rest of this Bible. But he, he added, and the things like these, right? Just so you know, this is not just it. There's much more than this that we're capable of doing, right? He says that there to say, look, these are just a, quite a few things. But I'm not going to keep on going because, again, if I kept on going, how long would this list be? Who knows? But he knows that we're sinners, right? And he knows that we do these things and things like these. And he says, look, man, I'm going to warn you as I warned you before. So now the work of the flesh is this. And those who live this way, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And before you get to that clause, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, th there's, there's that right there. If you read along with me, it says, I warned you as I warned you before that those that do such things. Now, you know, I'm reading from the ESV. That's the translation I have. And um, I don't think it does this verse justice. Let me explain what I mean. So the other translations you may have, this is practice, right? So I know, for instance, if you have a Christian standard Bible, that's the translation that has the word practice there. And why, why is it that I think that better helps us to understand what Paul is saying as he connects these uh, traits of the flesh to not inheriting the kingdom of God? It's because when you practice, you're trying to become good at something, okay? Anybody that practices doing something, they want to become good at it. It's unrepented, it's uninterrupted training over and over and over again, right? And, and why I think that the do is, is hard because many of us have either done such things as Christians, will do such things as Christians, have done them today. But does that mean that we won't inherit the kingdom of God? It's only for those that continue in this, who are practicing these behaviors. Again, unrepentedly, uninterruptedly, those who are living in such a way as though they don't serve God, but they serve themselves. Okay? So that's what we're looking at here. And let me just say, 
man, man or woman that's here this morning, friend, if this is you, this is a hard message. Don't miss this. Paul says, by the inspiration of God's spirit, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scary thing. Because for those that do not inherit the kingdom of God, what's left for you is God's wrath and his punishment forever. So what we know is hell. And that's the bad news. But stick with me. Don't tune out. Because by God's grace, some good news will come. So now let's take a look here at the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Against these things that have just been listed, the fruits of the Spirit, God's Spirit at work in us, there is no law. You don't got to worry about the law and becoming righteous based on the law. No, God's Spirit working through you will give you righteous attitudes now, righteous ways to live. You don't have to worry about circumcision, right? You don't have to worry about dietary laws. You don't have to do any of those things. Again, you're free. Right? Be guided by the Spirit. Right? Live in these such ways. And, you know, this fruit here, man, I, I think even when I first read it, it's kind of hard, it's difficult because you see the list of the fruits here and you think, man, instantly when I become a Christian, like, I'm going to have all these things. Uh, yeah, help us, God. It ain't like that. It's not like that. Um, but these things will come about in your life. And God will, through time, even as we were, as you heard the scripture reading this morning that Pastor Dennis read from 1 Thessalonians, this is a sanctification process, right? If you are a Christian, the fruit will be evident in your life, and it will be increasing, and it will be ripening, okay? So just know that's a promise from God. It will. He will work this out, again, because he made the promise. And it's his spirit working in you. So how do we cultivate this fruit? Right? Let's talk about some practical ways of how do we cultivate this fruit. So one, read the word. Right? We got to be in God's word. Right? So if you look at Psalm 1, there's probably there's other Psalms too that talk about the richest, richness of God's word. But if you look at Psalm 1, it's laid out there as the psalmist is saying, man, blessed is the man right, who meditates on God's word day and night. He says what? What does he say that person is like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, producing fruit in its season, whose leaves never wither, and he prospers in all that he does. That kind of sounds like somebody who's being led by the Spirit. Produces fruit in its season. Leaves never wither, and he prospers in all that he does, right? So let's read God's word. Let's be in God's word. Let's meditate on it day and night. Let's be doing that. I know it's difficult, 
But find time. We find time for so many other things, brothers and sisters. So we do. I do. If you're like me, we fill our lives with so many other things. Why not get time to commune with God and his word? Another one to cultivate the fruit is praying. Asking God to ripen this fruit in our lives, right? Ask God if, if there's a fruit here that you see that you know, man, I, I need to be more patient. I need more joy. Well, it's God's spirit that's in you. Pray to God. It's his spirit, right? Pray to him and ask him to ripen this fruit in your life or ask him to produce this fruit in your life. I'll ask you guys to pray for me, right? This weekend, man, I mean, I got a two-year-old, and I don't know what made me think that we was going to try to potty train her this weekend. Um, for those that know about two-year-olds, for those that don't know, I'm about to let you in on a little insider, little trader insider secret. For those who have two-year-olds, y'all already know. But I was like, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to take the first shift. Took the first shift. And man, that fruit of the spirit of patience just was not there. Man, I got a two-year-old making up all the excuses in the world. I'm like, man, I wasn't set up enough. I wasn't well prepared. Looking at this video, it says do this, do that. I'm trying to do it. My daughter ain't having it. Um, You know, and... uh I felt defeated. I felt discouraged. So pray for my patience. It's interesting. The wife come, my wife comes back home. She takes a second shift. She's like, man, I'm sorry, baby, you're discouraged. She's like, let me try. Man, my wife is just more patient than I am. The fruit is more ripe in her life. She actually got a success. She got, our daughter's name is Ruby. She got her to use the potty once. And that was successful. I told her, I said, man, I need to, I told my wife, I need to grow in patience. You know, I need to grow in patience. So I'm praying and I'm asking God to help grow me in patience. And I hope by this way that God will ripen this fruit in my life. Right? And so I ask you guys to pray for me too. And we should share these things with each other, right? And this is how it now leads in to that third point, right? Or, or, or that third application is this thing got to be lived out in community. The way that we're going to cultivate the fruit of the spirit is in community. It's not something that we're doing alone, guys. How is it if I were a lone ranger Christian that I'm going to know I'm loving, that I'm going to know I have joy, that I'm going to know I'm peaceful, that I'm patient? Not by myself. I will not learn. It's me going through the hard time with my two-year-old that shows me, oh, snap, I'm not patient. I need help there. Let me pray to the Lord and ask him for help. It's in relationships. It's in community that God is going to help to cultivate this fruit in us. When we're challenged and when we're stretched, right, to be amongst sometimes people who may not be somebody you may actually really like to be around that much. But it's in those places, in those spaces where God is going to grow you. And so as I think about even just about our church family, right? There's something that um, both Nikki and Tasha, if you don't know them, I pray you see them after church. They've started this thing called Porch Talk, right? And, you know, I think it's on Friday nights, um, but you can, you can speak to one of those sisters. And 
I mean, that's a great way to be among people that are of the church, have communication, have dialogue, and grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Right? Another way is Ashley sent an email out this week. I don't know if y'all saw it. This is about opportunities in the life of the church. And I, and I wanted to have my phone open, but it's okay. If y'all don't see the email, a lot of y'all may know who Ashley is. Find her afterwards. She's right down here. And she'll help you to, to get the email if you have it. But there's opportunities at Cornerstone, right? There's opportunities that they need mentors at Cornerstone. There's also now opportunities at Cornerstone for basketball coaches, right? You know, I see Pastor T taking notes because I think he'd do a little something on, you know, basketball coaching, man. I got to talk to Titus, though, because I don't know if you're all the way telling me everything accurately. Um, you know, but, but uh, just a joke. Just a joke, my man. Um, but yeah, they need coaches. How is it that we're going to be able to serve in love? How is it that we're going to be able to serve our neighbors and ourselves? If maybe we don't try to take this opportunity if we have the ability to do so. Look, if you have time, I get it. Not everybody has time. But if you have time, why don't you not try to serve in some way that Ashley laid out in the email? Or why do you not go to Porch Talk and hang out with sisters and brothers and learn more about the faith and just culturally how the Bible applies to those things? Why would you not do that? Or, or even one, one last plug for our church, PSA teams, prayer, study, act. Couple, about a year ago, Pastor T did a sermon series, right? Talking about, I'm um, coming from, from Jeremiah, was it uh, Jeremiah? It was Jeremiah. Speaking about us being exiles here and how are we now to live our lives, right? And so we have a couple different teams. And we're looking for people not only to be in those teams if you're not in one, but if you feel led to lead one, man, reach out to our sister Hannah or talk to one of the pastors about maybe being a part of that. Brothers and sisters, we're going to cultivate the fruit by one, reading God's word, by two, praying, and by three, being in community amongst one another. Man, for a second, let's look at Jesus, man. Right? Not even for a second. We could look at Jesus forever, really. But when we think about self-control, Man, during Jesus' arrest, right, I think it says Peter cuts the air of, uh, of one of the people that were coming to arrest Jesus. But Jesus shows godly self-control. Because he says to Peter, do you not think if I made an appeal to my father, he wouldn't send 12 legions of angels to wipe all y'all out? Are you crazy? Why are you tripping with your little tiny sword? I got angels. I mean, <laughs> like, bro, he got angels. Jesus shows godly self-control. He allows himself to be arrested. And not only allows himself to be arrested, y'all, if you know the rest of the story, he goes to be crucified. Gentleness. Jesus declared himself to be gentle and lowly. And I just want to read this, man, because it, it's, uh, man, it's, um, I was reading it this weekend. It just, it made me emotional, man, because, um, man, 
Jesus is so kind to us. He's so loving to us. Um, he's altogether wonderful. Huh. And honestly, brothers and sisters, we don't deserve him. Um, but Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Man, his, uh, yeah, his, low, his yoke is light, his burden is easy. He tells us that he is gentle and lowly. Faithfulness. Jesus was faithful to the responsibility of the mission that God the Father sent him here for. God the Father sent him to live righteously, to die, resurrected for our behalf. Right? Goodness. Jesus is the good shepherd. Right? Good shepherd, he says he's such a good shepherd that he lays his life down for his sheep. That's the kind of goodness we're talking about here. Kindness. Jesus, instead of worrying about himself, he healed the heir of that person who lost his heir when he was coming to arrest him. He, they're coming, listen to this, they're coming to arrest Jesus. It's not like Jesus doesn't know where he's going, because he does. Dude's heir gets chopped off, and Jesus takes his heir and puts it back on and heals him. Now, if that's not kindness, if that's not compassion, I'm not sure what it is. Patience. Man, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see um, Jesus' life was just marked by patience, right? He had to be so patient with the disciples. He had to be so patient in particular, specifically with the 12, where he would say over and over again, do you not know? Do you not know who I am? Have you not seen the miracles? I mean, come on, guys. Think about the time. I could just think briefly. Think about the time uh, where he's feeding them with, where he's feeding the multitude of people with bread and fish. He does it once, then he does it again. He's like, "Yo, are, he's like, what's wrong? Are you guys still blind? You don't see? You don't know who I am?" He had to be patient with them. They didn't know who he was for a time. They didn't know what his mission was. And these were the men who were walking closely with Christ. He was patient with them. If we think about it, though, brothers and sisters, God, is Christ not patient with us? I mean, how many times do we fall and bump our heads? How many times do we walk? He says, don't go that way because I see a big gaping hole and we fall right into the hole. I mean, God is patient with us. So we know that. Christ is patient with us. And so we know that. We know Christ to be patient. Peace. I mean, Jesus' title from Isaiah 9, 6 is the Prince of Peace, right? So, I mean, that's his title. I don't even think I need to go any further with that, but, but that's his title is the Prince of Peace, right? That's his title, the Prince of Peace, right? There go my help right over there, man. That's my help right there. I told him to come in and help me out, y'all, this morning. And Jesus at his last supper, he said to his disciples, right, it's my peace I give you. 
And it's not a peace that the world gives you. No, I give you a different kind of peace. So he says, let me tell y'all, no matter what y'all going through, don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither should you be afraid because I give you my peace. He knew how this was going to end, man. Mm, joy. Man, does Hebrews chapter 12, 2 not tell us that it was the joy that was set before Christ that allowed him to endure the cross? Again, now keep listening, y'all, especially the ones who I was talking to earlier about sin and about not inheriting the kingdom of God because the good news is coming and I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss the understanding and knowing the way that you can see God. I don't want you to miss this, y'all. Okay, I don't want you to miss the way you can be justified. But joy, it says because, again, because of joy, Jesus endured the cross. He was despised and rejected by men. It was because of the joy that was set before him, man. Right? And now love. I mean, Jesus' entire ministry was marked by love. I mean, his mission was to come. All I had to do about love. Right? It's this. This is love. Not that we have loved God. Right? Not that we have loved God but that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us, right? 1 John 4.10. God loved us in such a way that he would send his son to die for us. God showed his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, While man or woman, you may be still sinning today, friend, while you may still be turning your back against God, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. That's the good news. So when we when we talk about the when I talked about the work of the flesh and all those things that I said you will not inherit the kingdom of God, well, there is a way that you can inherit the kingdom of God, is if you believe in the righteous one who died for sinners. And that's Jesus Christ, right? He lived the righteous life that we will never be able to live because we're sinners. He went and died on the cross, the death that we're supposed to die, but we can't because we're not righteous. And died on the cross, he did, but he didn't stay there. Three days later, he was risen from the grave, showing that his righteous life was acceptable to God. And sin and death were defeated. Mm, It was defeated. So now God says, if you come to my son, if you place your trust in Jesus, right? If you turn away from sin, all the things that we mentioned, and remember that last piece, and things like these, if you turn away from all of that and you turn towards Christ, you have eternal life, right? God is yours. The promised spirit is now yours, right? The fruit of the spirit that we've been talking about will now be producing in your life. You're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. The old person will die, be crucified, and now when you live, it's Christ that's living in you. Man, why would you not turn from your sin today and place your trust in Jesus? 
why would you not? Man, if, if this is something that you would like to talk more about after service, man, please reach out to the Christian friend or family member that bought, brought you. I will spend some time at the back door after service, and I would love to talk to anybody who wants to know more about following this Jesus, the one who embodied all the fruits of the Spirit perfectly. But we must continue. Paul gives a consequence. The last and final point. If you're living by the Spirit, then what Paul says here in verses 24 through, oh, I'm back in Matthew. Verses 24 through 26 is that if you're living by the Spirit, then you know what? You belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then your flesh has been crucified to the passions and desires of this world. Right? You, the, your, your flesh has been crucified, passions crucified, desires crucified. Again, you're not living for Jesus. And if that is true, then, well, your life, you should be living your life by the Spirit. Right? You should be living your life following the guidance of the Spirit, living in community, asking God to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, reading his word, maturing in Christ, becoming more and more like Christ daily, the process of sanctification. And he says, well, if this is so, then let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Again, that last piece too, verse 26, that can only happen in community, y'all. How is it that I'm conceited unless I have somebody to compare myself to, right? How is it that I'm envying somebody unless there's somebody to envy, right? How is it that I'm provoking somebody unless I have somebody to provoke? So all of this, again, is lived out in community. But what Paul is saying here is that if you're living by the Spirit and you're keeping a step with the Spirit, then these things should not be so. And so let me give an application here for how we can combat against this kind of attitude. We should encourage each other when we see God's work in our lives. Listen to me. We should acknowledge and encourage each other when we see the work of the Spirit in each other's lives. That's going to help you to fight conceitedness. It's going to help you to, to fight against provoking one another. It's going to help you to fight against envying one another. We should be glorifying the Lord when he gives gifts to people because the gift that he gives to his people eventually is going to be used to build you up. Right? So how are we going to combat this? Again, acknowledging and encouraging people as you see God's work in their lives. And brothers and sisters, this isn't just for just us. And when I say just us, I think sometimes as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, do our pastors get enough encouragement? Do our pastors get enough acknowledgement? I think sometimes if you're like me, I mean, I've had these thoughts before. Forgive me, brothers. Like, oh, the pastors, they, they're supposed to be the most. Yeah. Oh, they on a hundred with all the gifts, fruits of the spirit. On a hundred. No, the only one on a hundred with all the fruits of the spirit is Christ. Okay. Remember that. The only one who has all the fruits of the spirit all the time, done them all well is Christ. So we all need encouragement. Man, if your pastors have, and you see, if, if, 
you have seen in your pastor's life, whether that's Pastor Tim, Pastor Dennis, Pastor T, Pastor Tunde, if you've seen the work of God's spirit in their life, encourage those brothers. But everybody likes encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. And I'm not talking about flattery, but I'm talking about sincere encouragement. If you've seen the work in these men's life, please encourage them. Send them an email if you don't even know them well. Send them an email, man. Pat them on the back. Be like, yo, I see God's work in your life. Continue to press forward. Hmm. Yeah. God, God, God's work um, in us is tremendous. Right? So, man, may, may verse 26 uh, may, may be positively said this way amongst ARC that we would actually become humble and meek, that we would actually, instead of provoking one another, we would learn to live to help one another. And instead of envying one another, that we would be content in all that God has given us. Let us pray. Mm. Lord God, Father, you are a good God your goodness and your richness and your kindness, you lavish it upon us. Lord, you called us to yourself through faith alone in Christ. And it's not by any works of the law that anyone can be justified, but it's only through the work of Christ, the risen Savior, that we can be justified. And so we pray, Lord, that we will continue to remember that, that even in our moments, Lord, where we feel like, Man, we don't know if God's spirit is actually still working in us. May we know that as Paul told the Galatians here, this promise is still reigns true for us, that the spirit is ours. It was promised to us through faith in Christ. And so if we have the spirit, then we will be growing in the fruits of the spirit. Oh, Lord, help to ripen this fruit in our lives, help to mature us into the image of Christ so that we may love and serve one another. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.